listening to The Big Show with Patrick Duma on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Big Show Hour 4, Patrick Duma. Got uh, Cam on the board, got Callum as well. And uh, we'll keep this conversation going. Yesterday was the uh, MLB All-Star, sorry, the Home Run Derby. Yesterday, tonight, the 93rd edition of the MLB All-Star Game. And we go to Seattle and we are joined by MLB Network and NHL Network host. Also uh, on the Cinephile podcast, Adnan Verk. Thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your morning and uh, talking with me, Adnan. Of course, Patrick. Good to be with you, man. Good to be reunited. Hell yeah, hell yeah. How, look, first off, talk to me about uh, last night. Talk about the Derby. Vlad Jr. getting the win uh, 16 years after his father did it. But uh, talk about the events and everything that went down at T-Mobile last night. This never happens, Patrick, but I went 7-for-7 seven seven in my pick. I, I wish I gambled. I could have made millions <laughs> last night. Hell yeah. I, I, they, they, yeah, I, I literally picked everything, and I said, you know, I was with Yonder Alonso and Chris Young, and they had Adolis Garcia. I said, no way. I said, Rosarena loved him. <laughs> I said, Vlad Jr., of course, the root for the Blue Jay. Yep. And I said, Julio will do a great hometown hero. So to me, it felt pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. So I wasn't surprised at all, although I was stunned to see Julio hit 41 in yeah. that first round. Although, classic move, right? The guy just, he's unbelievable out of the gate, but then probably fatigues that's really not as strong in the later rounds. So, Unfortunately, you can hit 41, but in the second round, he gets bested by Vlad. And I thought Vlad was just consistent. I mean, mm-hmm. especially in that second round. Like, he was kind of struggling early, took the time out, and then just boom. Like, he wasn't, it wasn't like a flurry of blasts. He was just hitting them with consistency. And then in the final, thankfully, able to beat a Rosarena. But it was, it was an awesome atmosphere, you know, with the, uh, the MLB Network pass. I don't have, like, an assigned seat, so I just kind of wander all <laughs> over the place. So. Me and my buddy Scott Rogowski, we, we felt like kids, you know, when you're like you know, young trying to move down and yeah. people keep saying, oh, you're in my seat. So we went upper bowl. Like, I was like, we're not going to go lower bowl. It's a little bit too aggressive. Mm-hmm. But it happened at least three times. People were like, oh, you're in our seat. Like, oh, I'm sorry about that. But the difference being, of course, when you were a kid and a scalper saw you, you'd get booted. Here it was like, oh, no problem. I have a media pass. Yeah. Go sit in somebody else's seat. So uh, I, was, I was thrilled that I got to watch it in a seat. I got to be in that environment. And man, Seattle's a beautiful city. It's my first time being here. Definitely shades of Vancouver. I've been mm-hmm. to twice. Reminds me a lot of San Francisco. You know, very temperate, overcast, uh, liberal-minded. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of homeless people, a lot of weed, but very <laughs> friendly people. And uh, and, a, and a good sports town, man. Like that. Oh, yeah. I love their Seahawks. I can see the impact the Kraken have had, that natural rivalry with the Canucks. And, and they obviously love their Mariners. Getting the Edgar Martinez plaques and statues. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Griffin, who's just idolized here so really really cool ballpark if you've ever been it's a really nice park here in seattle yeah no t-mobile is uh definitely on the bucket list for sure did you make your way out to left field because that seems to be where everybody was hitting it no i did not <laughs> you're right i, I want to go check it out today i kept laughing i said that's where the sign was for edgar so i guess that's uh edgar martinez's restaurant or they just named it after him mm-hmm. but you're right everything's going to left that was the one thing about alonzo i mean i felt so bad for him. I go, god there's no way he's going to be doing it the guy just hit 41 and Alonzo didn't have the same guy that pitched him yeah. last year. I can't remember the exact story, but uh, the guy who was there was not available. I think he was hurt or something. So I think it was the Mets BP coach instead. And, like, you could just tell, like, this guy doesn't have the same groove. Or yeah. Alonzo just wasn't comfortable with him. Like, yeah, whoever you want to blame him. Like, once he started hitting home runs opposite field, like, he's the only guy right now hitting home runs to right field. <laughs> it just looks so unusual. Like, if you're rolling, you're hitting them dead center, hitting them to left. So I felt bad for Pete, but he's won twice before, and uh, obviously a great show there for Julio. Do you like the new format, the way it is with the with because it feels like it, it does leave like where you guys they use a lot of their energy up early and they kind of fade and they have to be more temperate maybe with how they they do with their swing compared to like they mentioned on the broadcast yesterday. I think Carl Ravage mentioned that uh, Vlad Senior won hit back in '07 with three home runs because they did the outs back in the day. 
point. No, I was. Um, that's a good point by Ravi. Yeah, it, it's it's different. Like I always like the bonus time because I feel like guys can kind of get that extra surge and once they kind of take a breath, like the, like the, the timeout and the bonus time feel invaluable because you're just that exertion of just swinging fully as much as you can every single time. And it, it's exhausting. Thankfully it was a, again, very temperate night in Seattle, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, plus 20, something like that. It was, it was nice. It was cool, but like those guys are gassed, man. So I, I do think it's important to give them that bonus time, give them a rest. I don't know if you should go cumulative. Like again, I mm-hmm. heard for J rod, I'm like, how can you get 41 home runs and then, because you're not as good in the second round, not advanced. But yeah. I guess that is the whole point. It is head-to-head. It's, you know, like any tournament, it doesn't matter what you did the previous game. It matters what you do in that game. So, overall, I think it's a pretty good format. It's definitely fan-friendly. And I, I was banking for three hours, and we were done in two and a half. So, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that's pretty good to me. Well. I was happy. And again, because the West Coast, as you know, in Calgary, even with, with different mountain zones, like the fact you can walk out at 7.30 yep. local, and it's like bright and sunny. It doesn't sunrise not until like 9.08 local, which is like past midnight <laughs> Eastern. It's crazy. No, I absolutely love that. This is the best part about living up here in the Northwest is uh, the sun in the summertime. It stays out for a long time. Uh, tonight uh, will be the All-Star Game, uh, the 93rd edition. It'll be uh, Garrett Cole for the AL getting the start up against Zach Gallon, his first All-Star appearance, third D-back to get the start in uh, the All-Star Game. But just overall, like uh, the, obviously they took away the, uh, the meaning with the All-Star Game. Obviously the winner got home field advantage in the World Series, the winning league. Uh, but does it still carry the same prestige? Because with me, I look at uh, me and George talked about it this morning uh, in the in the six o'clock hour. It, it still feels like it's the best of the four All Star games. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of prestige and being a jewel event, it yeah. still has that. I think if you're a major league baseball fan, you know, I was walking around just talking to fans, and they're saying, you know, this is something I always want to do with my son, or I want to always want to go with my mom, whatever. Like people make it an event to say we like to go to different All Star games, especially if it's in a locale like this. Like I, I met a bunch of East Coasters who were like. You know, what other reason would I ever have to be in Seattle? So it's cool to be able to come to the All-Star game. So I think it's definitely a rite of passage. I think just even if you're a casual sports fan, it signifies to you that, all right, if we're into the summer, but you better accept the fact we only have six more weeks of summer. So let's get after it right now. Where's your All-Star break? And let's go beach and boating and all the rest of it and enjoy what should be a great second half of the baseball season. But I, I echo the same sentiments as you and George. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at the other All-Star games, they're really pale in comparison to baseball. Oh, yeah. Hockey and basketball are, are glorified exhibitions. Yep. It's all offense, no defense. And football is unwatchable. Like, I, I don't I mean, <laughs> like the numbers, I always laugh. I go, how, like, who the hell is watching? Like, there's six million people watching the Pro Bowl. I don't know any of them. I don't yeah. know one person yeah. that watched the Pro Bowl. Which right, like, but whereas baseball looks like a baseball game. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. guys are throwing 95 and guys are hitting and guys are trying to make plays and like no one's trying to get hurt. There's no collisions, but like guys are actually playing the game. You'll see athleticism and good plays and, and you're seeing truly the best players in the world competing. So I, I think, yeah, of all the All-Star games, baseball clearly stands head and shoulders above the rest of them. The only thing I would give to basketball, I, I still think the skills contest, mm-hmm. the dunk contest is pretty cool. But other than that, I mean, those other All-Star games are, are pretty weak. Yeah, no, uh, we won't be getting no Pete, uh, Pete Rosen to Ray Fossey tonight, but uh, yeah, it still has that uh, <laughs> that prestige for sure. Just with the with baseball does that for sure. Uh, halfway see halfway point of the mar- uh, season, uh, how are you taking the new rules? Obviously, attendance is up with uh, with the time. Obviously, being a different like the shorter games, I think is obviously playing a, a cor- uh, correlation with the attendance being up. Stolen bases are up. Uh, like what? Uh, John Birdie had 40 as the leader last year, and the two yeah. guys are going to be eclipsing that by a mile this year. But overall, what have you uh, taken away with the new rules and uh, and this year's baseball season? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that stolen bases. I saw it the other day. John yeah. Birdie, 41 stolen bases a year ago, and already history Ruiz has passed him. And he might get 80 stolen bases. I think he'd be the first since like Kenny Lofton in 95 or 96. So yeah. 
Honestly, Patrick, I think the new rules have been an unqualified success. It's so rare in life to find anything that people agree on, like you name it, food, weather, news, politics. Like, <laughs> people never agree on anything. There's always some dissension. And yet, in the new rules, I don't know one person who's like, you know what, I kind of missed the three-hour, 40-minute yeah. games in April. Like, no, of course not. Like, no. these games are going 240, 245. They're much more crisp. You get lots more action within the game. There's still a lot of strikeouts, too many strikeouts for my taste, but I don't know how you get rid of that. These mm-hmm. guys are all trying to hit home runs. That's kind of the way the game is played. Yeah. But I'm happy to see the renewed emphasis on speed. Now that guys can throw over a little bit less and teams are able to be taking more advantage. I, I think in many ways there's been no better story than Ronald Acuna, who's healthy and showing mm-hmm. he's the best player in the National League right now. He's on pace for 43 home runs and 80 stolen bases. To have that combination of power and speed is incredible. Think about back in the day, you'd say, you know, a 40-40 guy. He could be a, a 40-80 guy, which is just unheard of. And yeah. in many ways, the All-Star game is going to feel like the Braves versus the Rangers. I mean, the Braves team record, yeah. eight guys are making the All-Star team. The entire infield is starting the game. Um, and then as far as the American League is concerned, a lot of Rangers. Like, the Rangers are being well-represented. But a good, good contingent of the Blue Jays as well. I mm-hmm. talked to Bo Bichette and Black Bear Jr. yesterday on set. I saw... Jordan Romano walking around. I saw Whit Merrifield as well. So it's good to see four Blue Jays making it for a team that's, you know, not in first or second place right now in their division. It's still being represented. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the new rules have really been a huge success. And I, and I give credit to the owners and the players for agreeing, right? We know how mm-hmm. acrimonious things can get, but I'm glad both sides say this is needed. It's important. And as you said, the numbers are there. I think attendance is up 22%. TV ratings up 12%. So it, it's really a good sign for the sport. Uh, let's talk about the Blue Jays. They are at the halfway point now, 50-41. and 41, Best record since 2016 at the All-Star break. They won the division that year. Alec Manoa looked good in his return on Friday against the Tigers. Just uh, what have you taken from the Jays in their first half? A lot of ups and downs, and uh, pretty much the series against Detroit, I think, was a microcosm of their series of their season. Sorry. Yeah, that's a surprising nugget. Best record since 2016 for them, because if you ask most people, they'd feel a little bit disappointing, a little bit underwhelming, and you know, Manoa, to me, was the biggest story. They just they got to get this guy right. And after seeing how much he'd struggled, unfortunately, it was the, the tough but painful decision to send him down. He then gets bombed in his first start, but mm-hmm. then was great in double-A. And I think it was really uh, cagey to have him start against the Tigers and before the All-Star break. Because so much of this, I think his issues are mental. The fact he's got to challenge these guys. And he was walking too many batters. Like, just, just go after him. You've got the stuff that plays. And I think... They knew the Tigers. Again, they're calculated. They're, they're the third fewest runs per game in baseball. So let's get him against Detroit. Let's do it before the All-Star break. Now we can sit back, take a deep breath, relax, and hopefully we'll get our horse back. I, I don't know if he can go back to being the guy he was a year ago, mm-hmm. but even if he's a, a number three type starter because Gosman's clearly an ace, Barrios has bounced back. Yep. The Manoa can slot in as a so-called three. Kikuchi's been uh, better than advertised, and, and Bassett is good at home, struggles on the road. A little inconsistent, Ryu's coming. you get what you get, so. Rio's coming as well. You're right. You're going to need yeah. six starters. I mean, yeah. they've had a couple of bullpen games, so a little bit of depth would be nice. But ultimately, I think the Jays' offense could be a little bit better, just a little bit more consistent. Mm-hmm. You know, Bichette's been awesome. He's second right now in hitting. But Vlad Jr. hasn't had the Vlad Jr. start we would have wanted, even though he's here at the All-Star game. I think he could be a little bit better. Um, you know, I think Varsho really got off to a tough start yeah. offensively, but really good defensively. Kiermaier, same thing, good defensively. Springer's been good, a little better. Their catching's been a little bit disappointing. Alejandro Kirk, I think you expect better numbers out of mm-hmm. Jansen can hit some home runs. Chapman had a great first month, and he quieted down. Yep. So I feel like they could use one more bullpen arm. I think like a seventh-inning guy as a bridge to get to Swanson, then get to Romano. I think that would be good if the Jays are looking for someone like that. And just more consistent offense. But I do like their starting pitching. I think their starters have held up well in what is a really tough division. It's the first time in the divisional era since 95. Every team in the American League East is above 500, which is wild. Uh, do you think Vlad Jr. could kind of take what Juan Soto did last year, use a really good home run derby, and apply that to a really good second half? 
Well, it'd be nice to see. Because yeah. honestly, you look at the numbers, Patrick, and, and as, as Vlad Jr. goes, so go the Jays. Yeah. It's, it's pretty startling. If you look at the numbers of what he hits in their wins, it's like an 850 OPS, and when they lose, it's like a 650 OPS. Like, it's pretty glaring mm. that as, as Vlad goes, so go the Blue Jays. So he's, he's instrumental for the team. You know, his defense is, is better than you might think. You know, he's not exactly going to be a great base runner, but he, he plays with abandon and enthusiasm, and he can hit. Like, no matter what, whether he's on the road, on, at home. I asked him yesterday, again, he obviously speaks Spanish, but through Yonder Alonso, I asked him, you know, what about the new dimensions? How do you find them? And he said, you know, I don't necessarily think they've been more homer happy. And, again, if you know the numbers, it took him like three months to get a yeah. home run at, at Rogers Center. He said, but it's, it's nothing that I'm thinking about. It's not that I'm uncomfortable about it. Like, I still like hitting at home, but I just don't think – the dimensions necessarily are more homer happy or more offense friendly, but he'll hit his homers on the road, at least for now, and hopefully get more comfortable at home. But he's too good a player to have a mediocre mm-hmm. season. He should be a guy who's going to, at the end of the season, still put up his numbers, you know, hit 280, hopefully 30 home runs and close to hundred RBI. Uh, the guy that'll be batting second tonight for the American league, Shohei Otani, maybe we'll pitch as well. Uh, he's, uh, he's coming up. He's going to be a free agent this off season. Do the angels attempt to move him at the deadline or are they just going to try hold on to him until it's too late and lose him for nothing? Yeah, there's no chance they're going to trade him. Although I do think they should explore it. I do think that what they should do is say, Hey, whoever gets him, you also have to take on Anthony Rendon's yeah. contract. All of a sudden, <laughs> then you, you right? Then, then, then you reverse the fortunes of your team. You go, oh my God, I just saved $250 million and I'm also going to get, let's say, two top prospects and two everyday players. Yeah. But I just think Artie Moreno does not want to be known as the guy that traded Shohei Otani, mm-hmm. who might go down as one of the greatest players in the history of the sport. Barring a miracle, he's going to win the MVP. So at least the Angels as a franchise can say, hey, he won another MVP with us. He's going to be an all time angel. Eventually, have his jersey retired here. But I do think they should at least explore those options. Mm-hmm. I really do think teams like the Mets and the Dodgers will back up the truck for him. But they're not going to trade him. But I don't think they're going to resign him either. They're, they're going to try. But I think the natural fit is the Dodgers. Yeah. If you like Los Angeles, you can stay in L.A. It's beautiful weather. It's a three-hour flight to Japan. Obviously, naturally, his home, homeland. Mm-hmm. And he still has all the marketing potential, which he has right now. And he'll be playing for a winner. Like yeah. you're, going, you're literally crossing the street to go to a team that has had <laughs> a lot of success not only recently, but within its history, like it's a no-brainer to go to Los Angeles. I think the Mets, it probably feels like that's a little bit more risk. They're a team that this year obviously have had a horrible year. Mm-hmm. You're not sure how that's going to go if you go there. Uh, San Francisco is an option as well. I mean, a little bit no- more north. And again, you've got the quick flight to Japan. I mean, if San Francisco blows me with the money and says, you can be our superstar, I could see that. But honestly, to me, the Dodgers just make the most sense. I'd go Dodgers, Giants. Then Angels, then Mets. If I did handicap it. Hmm. Now, what does like a contract look like? Is it the five fifty start? As the, is that the bottom barrel? Is this guy gonna is Shohei gonna reach six hundred, six fifty? I think it's within reach, man. Like honestly, yeah. if you'd asked at the start of the year, I would have said ten years, five hundred million dollars. He mm-hmm. just turned twenty nine years old. Um, but he's on pace for fifty eight home runs, one hundred and thirty RBI. He could strike out two hundred thirty seven batters. Like it's insane what he's doing. So. If you look at his numbers, like as a hitter, he should be getting what Aaron Judge gets. Yeah. Judge got a nine-year, $360 million contract in his early 30s. So that's $40 million a year. And as a pitcher, he's like Garrett Cole, who's getting 30 to $35 million a year. So $70 million, as absurd as it sounds, shouldn't be out of the question. I think it begins at 10 years, 500, 550, as you said. Mm-hmm. But I have no question it could go into the 600s. And I wouldn't be surprised if it goes to 700. And, and maybe it'll be very creatively structured in that he gets a piece of revenue and merchandising because he's such a player that brings in such money on a global level. So I, I think it's going to be a fascinating situation, but he's going to blow Trout's record, 427 or 421, yeah. whatever it is. It's going to be blown out of the water. 
Uh, we'll park the baseball conversation here for a moment. We'll uh, we'll move to Wimbledon. I know you're big into tennis, obviously. We're into the quarterfinals now. Alcaraz getting better and better. Novak going for history. His 90 wins, only second to your boy Roger Federer. George isn't here, so you can you don't have to defend. Uh, you, know, you don't have to go after Djokovic <laughs> or anything. But just just talk about Wimbledon, how it's going. Djokovic, 10 uh, year record at center court. He's uh, going on later on today. Uh, you know, just just yeah, talk about Wimbledon. Yeah, it is remarkable to think about. I, I saw what, what ESPN did, that little ticker there after Djokovic won his last match in the round of 16. You know, days since he's lost in center court, it's like 35,552, <laughs> eight hours, 12 minutes. Like, oh, my God. That, that is mind-boggling to think about. His sustained excellence at center court, on grass, at Wimbledon, you know, brings up the best of Federer. The fact both those guys, the only ones with eight Wimbledon titles, nobody thought they'd eclipse Sampras in his seven Wimbledon mm-hmm. titles. So, Without question, Djokovic will go down as not only one of the greats, but one of the great grass court players specifically. And it's going to be really tough to beat him. I think he's like a four to seven favorite in terms of the numbers. Although Alcaraz is a tremendous story as well. I remember watching that French Open final thinking this could be the match of the year. Then unfortunately, Alcaraz started cramping, so that caused problems. But yeah, man, it's uh, both those guys are going to be tough to beat. I'm actually watching right now before you call those, watching the Sviantec match. Number one seed in the world loses the yeah, first I set, saw that. but then wins the second set with tie break. So this should be a good third set to see if she can come back. Cause you know, the women's game doesn't have as much star power as it used to, yeah. at least for, for tennis. You've still got Djokovic on the men's side. But the tennis side without Serena, it's really kind of lacking in Sharapova and the stars of the past. But Sviantec's been the number one player. She's awesome on grass. So it's um, it, it's so special to watch Wimbledon, man. It, again, it's one of my favorite moments of the year watching it. And one day I'll get there. Uh, I don't know when. <laughs> uh, I'll enjoy some strawberries and cream one day. What about uh, Chris Eubanks? His meteoric, meteoric rise up the ATP rankings was like in the... Well, late hundreds or like early two hundreds at the start of the year. Now he's if uh, this quarterfinal run, he's going to be a seated player at the U S open. Uh, it's an awesome story, man. I mean, look at what his play. And I just thought particularly on grass, his core coverage is really good. He seemed to get to everything, quick strokes, powerful strokes, strong forehand, you know, all the elements you need to have succeed at Wimbledon. He was able to do so. And that's, what's so great about tennis is you can have a run like this. Yeah. And it can also tell you it's a different stratosphere. Like in tennis, you really only really get taken seriously. If you're in the top 30. So as you said, if you can be a top 30 seed, especially at the U.S. Open, I mean, that's, that's incredible for Eubanks. And it's a, it's a good story for American tennis to have another star like yep. that coming up and trying to do what he can. So it was, uh, it was really cool to see, man. It's, it's always great to see some, an upstart like that come through and thrive on that kind of occasion. Adnan, you're also big into the movies, working on the Cinephile podcast. I saw this on social media. Uh, people are going to be seeing Oppenheimer and Barbie on the same day. They both come out on the same day. Uh, do, I can't think of two movies at the more opposite ends of spectrum and that people want to do it on the same day, but uh, would that be something you would attempt? Uh, I'd love to. I, 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 <laughs> Thursday, I'm working a double, so I, I I can't pull off it then. You know, I kind of want to go like the midnight screening kind of thing, but... I think I'm going to go Thursday night, 9 Eastern, the Oppenheimer screaming, which is the first one you can see. I'll either see an IMAX or 70 millimeter. Then the Friday I'm working on, I mean, I'll take my wife to see Barbie at some point, hopefully that week, and she really wants to see it. But, yeah, I mean, listen, for people who see the decline of movies, look at the fact there's such interest in two movies opening the same day. Yeah. Now, as a movie lover and a cinephile, I'd love to see those days separated, but I really think that's, that's Warner Brothers kind of sticking it to Chris <laughs> Nolan a little bit because he – he turned his back on them because he was upset with their whole strategy during COVID of not releasing movies. You know, the whole day and date, right? Meaning yeah. release the movie in theaters and streaming the same day. So Nolan was pretty mad about that. That's why he was turned on Warner's, which Universal. So I think they're kind of like, oh, you know what? We'll stick it to you. Then we're going to stick Barbie the same day as Oppenheimer. Because I think, again, on a mass level, I mean, Barbie is massive. I mean, the, the amount of women that are going to see that movie. Oh, yeah. And as Margaret Robbie was saying, it's people who love Barbie. It's for people who hate Barbie. Like, it's a satire. It's funny. It's silly. The the production design looks amazing. I think they spent $100 million on the budget. So 
it's definitely a bit of a screw you to Nolan, but again, people <laughs> like me love Christopher Nolan, and I can't wait to see Oppenheimer. That's the movie that I think is going to get lots of Academy Award oh, yeah. nominations. And, and again, he makes movies with big budgets, hopefully big dollars. So I hope they both have huge openings, man. I hope, I hope a lot of people do see both movies, if not the same day and the same weekend. And I guess all the explosions in Oppenheimer, all real, no CGI. Yeah, apparently he had to get like an actual weapon of mass yeah. destruction. I mean, that, that is... <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't think of anything more crazy or more Chris Nolan esque than saying, you know what, I don't want any CGI. We're getting an actual weapon of mass destruction to make this look as uh, realistic as possible. He's, he's wild. Yeah, I'm excited for both of those. Uh, what's the latest going on at Cinephile? Uh, so I'm taping today. I've got Oscar De La Hoya coming Ooh. up. I'm going to tape him in a little bit. He's got, yeah, a new documentary about him coming up on HBO and on Max. Pam Greer, of course, great from nice. Jackie Brown. Nice. She's got a new movie out. I'm interviewing her tomorrow. So. Yeah, that's great, man. We're definitely, uh, I just saw Asteroid City here in Seattle, of course. I try to go see a movie wherever I am. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. new Wes Anderson film. I'll review that next week. So, incredible cast. He's got Tom Hanks, yeah. Steve Carell, Marco Robbie, Charles Johansson. Yeah. yeah, I mean, dude, it's, uh, it's an incredible cast. So, um, yeah, getting after here on Cinephile, as always. Well, thank you so much, Adnan. Enjoy tonight's All-Star Game. Uh, we'll do this again very soon, I'm sure. Patrick, a pleasure, man. Give my best to George, the rest of the boys, and uh, great to reconnect. Of course, buddy. All the best. All the best. All right, take care. There you go. There's Adnan Verk, uh, MLB, NHL Network host, also uh, the host over there on the Cinephile podcast. He'll be interviewing Oscar De La Hoya, Pam Greer coming up, and, of course, Oppenheimer and Barbie coming up on the 22nd of this month. Uh, two big movies for your summer blockbuster uh, watching privileges. Uh, of course, Adnan joined us down the Atlas Beats and Sports Bar guest hotline, 15-time Consumer Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. For pickup or delivery, call 403 248 3344. Didn't mention this. Uh, it happened early on. It happened actually during the morning report. But uh, the Montreal Canadiens have uh, come to an agreement uh, on an extension with uh, Alex Newhook, who they acquired from the uh, Colorado Avalanche at the end of June. It's a four-year deal with an AAV of $2.9 million. Alex Newhook on to the Habs for the St. John Newfoundland, John's Newfoundland. It's here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.